They find it very hard to understand why you are worthy giving everything for to sacrifice time and talents and possibilities of what we could do in this life to serve you just doesn't make sense. But for those who truly believe in you, for those who've truly been saved, God, there's a wonderful realization of how worthy you are of all that we have. And I pray, Father, as we talk this morning and we read your word, that you would just speak to us so clearly that you would take maybe some questions or frustrations or just doubts that we may have in our life and God that you would clarify them to a point where we cannot deny what it is that you want from us and the callings that you've put on our life. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters who aren't able to be here today. Lord, we pray that you would lift them up and that your spirit would be with them just as you are here with us right now. And God, they would receive a, a spiritual blessing this morning, but Lord, even a physical blessing that you would help them today. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. And we ask all this in your precious and holy name. All God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, it is great to see everybody today, and we are in week four of our stewardship series. And as I have said every week so far, I really want to make sure that you guys have the opportunity to get the complete story of what it is that we're talking about over these, over these sermons, because when it comes to stewardship, you know, we get pigeonholed and, and we get so focused on certain things but it's really important for us as believers in Jesus Christ to understand that God has called us to be stewards of many different things in our life. Many different things that he has blessed us with, many different uh, possibilities and things that he has called us to. And we're talking about just small sections of that in each sermon. And so it's really important to understand that if this is something that you're struggling with or you're trying to you're trying to figure out whether or not like this is applicable to your life that you're really paying attention you're getting all these because there's a lot of different things that God has called us to steward and today we're, we're continuing on in this and we're talking about stewarding ministry and I think it's very important for us to understand that if you claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ this morning that it's more than just a free ticket that you get into heaven but to understand that when you put your trust and faith in him and you want that eternal life, like when you say, I, I want eternal life, that you really understand what it means. Because it's not just about, well, I, I don't want to go to hell because that's what it starts out as. And, and I've shared many times when I first came and I was sitting about where Henry or Bruce was sitting uh, at this church as a teenager, I remember like just the simple fact of I did not want to go to hell, so the alternative sounded much better. And, and when I started my relationship with Jesus Christ, I asked him to come into my heart, I asked for forgiveness of sin, and, and there was this constant desire to make sure that I was not going to go to hell. But as I progressed in that, that desire, there was also this wonderful thing that began to happen of 
that God began to speak to my heart in a lot of different ways. And it wasn't just about a heaven or hell issue. Like that's a big issue, but that's just part of it. That in fact, God really wants a relationship with us. He, he wants a relationship with you, but he also wants you to have more purpose and more meaning in your life than just trying to make sure that you have this insurance plan or safety net of going to heaven. You need to understand that this morning. And when we claim to believe in Jesus Christ and we claim to be followers of Jesus Christ to understand that now there is this wonderful, intense, very heavy calling on us for all of us to be ministers of the gospel. And whenever I say this morning that each one of you, all of us, including myself, we are all called into ministry, you have to make sure that you don't just get pigeonholed in this idea of ministry is preaching or ministry is leading worship or ministry is being a youth pastor or missionary. That's not ministry. That's just one. Those are small aspects of what ministry is and can be. But ministry is every aspect of our life. When you think about your life as a whole, to understand that God has called you in every aspect of your life to be a minister. Like me getting up here on Sunday morning, this is just a part of the ministry that God has called me to. It may seem very significant to you, but this is only a couple hours of the week of my entire life. How disappointing would it be if this was the only aspect of serving Christ that I did in my life and then I went out Monday through Saturday and did whatever I wanted to do and built my kingdom and did my thing and then come back in here and made you all feel bad on Sunday morning. And there's a lot of pastors that do that. You need to understand today that we're all called to ministry. It's a very important aspect of following Christ. It's one of the reasons why so many people who claim to be believers in Jesus Christ are frustrated in that relationship because it's not as powerful as what they thought it would be because we haven't truly surrendered to the Lord in every aspect to let Him work and move in our lives. And if I ask this question this morning, and if you said, if you claim today that you believe in Jesus Christ and you've been saved for your sins, if I ask this question, how many of you believe that you are more important or greater than Jesus? You would not dare raise your hand if I asked that question. But yet we operate in our lives like we ask Jesus to come into our heart. We ask him to save us so that we can have the assurance that we go to heaven. And all of a sudden, that's it, and we're done. And then we go back and we live our lives. So many people who claim to be followers of Christ go back and live their lives just the way that they were doing it before, just banking off of grace and forgiveness to get them that free ticket punched into heaven. And that's not what it's about. To understand today that you and I are called to ministry, that you and I are called to serve, that when you accept Jesus Christ into your heart, there needs to be an understanding of there's a massive change that takes place in our lives and that we are called to be born again, that we're called to be new creations, that we're called to be completely different people. And that's a heavy burden because you and I both know we can't do it on our own. We can't just be reborn. We can't just become a new person all of a sudden. We can't change our habits or break addictions. We can't do all that stuff on our own. And so we need the power and the authority of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to help us do that. Being a Christian is much more than just having this safety net, but being a Christian is committing your life to the service and to the kingdom of God. We're all called to ministry. We're all called to serve Jesus. We're all called to serve others. 
And this morning, I want you to understand, if your life lacks service to God, if your life lacks service to other people in the name of Jesus Christ, there's some serious issues in your faith that need to be resolved. You're called to be a steward of everything. And the ministry that God's called you to is not something that we can take for granted and it's not something that we should waste. But it's something that we should steward and we should steward it well. And the understanding that we must die to ourselves and to our kingdoms and our wants is not foreign. It's all throughout the Gospels. It's all throughout the New Testament. The understanding that we die to ourselves in order to build the kingdom of Christ. And in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, Jesus is talking to his disciples as he talks about the ministry and the kingdom of heaven. Look what he says. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. And point number one this morning, you need to understand that the message has always been about the kingdom. And it's really important for you to understand this morning that the good news is not about you and it's not for you. And the good news is not about me and it's not for me. And we'll say that again because that sounds weird. It's probably very different from what you've heard in church and things like that. But I want to say it again. The good news is not about us. You with me this morning? It's not. You know, Jesus went around proclaiming the message of the good news about the kingdom. And John the Baptist prepared the way for Christ by announcing, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is near. And Jesus constantly talked about the kingdom of heaven and most of his parables centered around the kingdom of heaven. The parable that we read from last week was talking about Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like... The master who went on a long trip. You look at most of the perils. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. And I want you to understand this morning, the kingdom of heaven is not for you. And the kingdom of heaven is not for me. And it's not for us. And that sounds really weird because we are a lot more self-absorbed than we like to admit. And we like to assume that we're much more important than we really are. And so our whole lives, we've been talking about Jesus died for, for me. And yes, that's true. Jesus did die for you. He did die so that you could have eternal life. He did go to prepare a place for you. And so there's something very personal about that relationship with Christ. But it's also important for you to understand that the kingdom of heaven is not for you. Because whether or not you go there is not going to change the fact that it exists and will exist for all eternity. And so even if you don't go to heaven, heaven will still be there and there will still be people in heaven with Jesus celebrating for eternity in heaven. So the kingdom is not for us because it will be there whether we are there or not. Does that make sense? The kingdom of heaven is for God. It's for his son, Jesus Christ. And it's for all those who submit to him and serve him and live for him in every aspect of their life. 
who are covered by his blood. And in the same way, hell will exist whether you are there or not. And hell was not prepared for you. Hell was prepared for the devil and his demons. And scripture says that. And the choice of whether or not you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior will determine whether or not you go there or whether you go to heaven. You and I are mere beneficiaries of the kingdom. It's not for us, but we benefit from it. We benefit from the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ to be the sacrifice for our sins. But the kingdom of heaven is not for us. It is for God. It's for His glory, His honor, His worship for all eternity. And if you think about heaven, you need to really check yourself this morning about why you want to be there. There's probably many of us sitting in this room this morning who's like, I can't wait to go home. Church is born. I remember being like that. And to understand like what heaven is going to be, you know, when you look at Scripture, there's not a whole lot of detail on what heaven is going to be like. It's very, very minimal descriptiveness on, on what eternity is going to be like. And, and so there's this, there's this battle that we face as people of like, yeah, I don't want to go to hell, but I know what life is like, and I have absolutely no idea what heaven's like. So we cling to life, and we don't look forward to eternity, even though we would rather go to heaven than hell. And so we don't anticipate and look forward to it. But the truth comes into play when you begin to Devote yourself more and more to Christ and Christ reveals himself more and more to you. And as you empty yourself out more and more and the Holy Spirit continues to fill you more and more, there becomes this desire in your life to be with God. And you read some of the writers in the New Testament and they begin to talk about that, how they long to be with Christ. Because they begin to realize as we are filled more and more with the Spirit, you realize how difficult the world is, how sinful the world is, how hard the struggle is every day to live for God and to be separated from sin and to do that. And and the world is very frustrating because this is not our world and we were never truly meant to be here, but we were meant to be with God. And so the more and more we grow with God, the more and more we want to be with God, which is in essence what eternity in the kingdom is, is to be with God. So you and I benefit greatly from the Gospels. And when you accept the message of the Gospel, when you accept the grace and forgiveness and the mercy of Jesus Christ in your life, Scripture says that we become citizens of heaven, citizens of this kingdom. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 gives a great analogy of how we are citizens of heaven. And think about a citizen and what that means. What kind of citizen gets to live and dwell in the kingdom or in the place without contributing to the society of the kingdom. We all contribute. We all give. We're all supposed to anyway. But we're called to be productive. As you say that you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to understand it's like Jesus did not just save you because he wanted you to be with him for all eternity. Like he did... He does want you to be with him for all eternity, but he saved you because he's building a kingdom and he needs workers to do that. That's why in the passage it says, pray for the God of the harvest to send more workers because there's a lot of work to do. And how self-absorbed do we have to be to think that salvation is just for me 
and then I get saved, and then that's it, and we don't have to do anything else. There's no more expectations. There's no more requirements. There's no more relationship other than just say, Jesus, forgive me my sins so I can have eternal life. Amen. And then we do whatever we want. You are called to be a minister of the gospel. And that doesn't mean that you're a pastor or a missionary or a worship leader. It doesn't mean that you'll ever have to stand up in front of anyone and say anything about Jesus Christ. Don't think about ministry as what the world perceives ministry to be, but you think about ministry as your entire life is a ministry. Every relationship, every minute that you breathe and that you're awake and every opportunity that you have to grow with Jesus and every opportunity that you have to pour into someone else and serve them and love on them in the name of Jesus, that is ministry. The time that I spend outside of this pulpit is much more significant than the time I spend here on Sunday morning in front of you. Because if the time out there is not spent... For Christ, the time up here means absolutely nothing. Point number two. The world needs direction. You look at the passage, Jesus looked at the crowds and he felt pity for them. Because he looked at them and they were like lost sheep. They didn't have any direction. They didn't know which way to go. Can you imagine if Jesus was among us right now? Because he can see... You know what I'm saying? Like, according to what we believe in Scripture, like, he can see what's going on. He knows. But you look at our society, and you look at everything that we're dealing with right now with all these different political issues and social issues that's going on, Jesus would feel so sorry for the people in our world. Because what's happening is we have this immense group of people who are looking for affirmation and they're looking for acceptance, and they're looking for purpose, and they're looking for the ability to just have something significant in their life, and they don't know which direction to go in, and so they'll go in any direction that somebody points them in. And as Jesus was doing his ministry, I mean, he was just, he was so saddened by the thought of these people have absolutely no clue what to do, no clue where to go, know which direction to walk in. And what did Jesus do while he was here? He went around healing. He taught them. And most importantly, he lived a life that was a perfect example to the people around him. Now I want you to think about this. In the Gospel of John, it says that despite all the miracles that Jesus did, very few people believed in him. So it would be awesome... If there were people who had the, the ability to go around the hill, if you had some great, amazing spiritual gift that you could do these amazing things in the name of Jesus, like, yeah, that's great. But what happened is, is that despite all the things that Jesus did, Scripture says that still very few people believed in him. But what was the game changer in Jesus' life? It was the everyday example that he set when the crowds weren't watching, when no one else was there. It was the time where he went away with his disciples and he had the conversations with them and he followed up with them. It was the time where he left his disciples and he would go up on the mountain or he would go in the woods and he would pray and he would spend time with his father. And the example that he set every single day in every relationship and everything he did, that was the game changer that created a group of 12 men who were willing to put their life on the line and say, I will follow you wherever you go. I will die with you. 
It's that that changes people's lives. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, Paul writes to Timothy. And he tells him, keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. So you know Timothy was a pastor, but Paul tells him, keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. And so what Paul is saying is, look, you can preach and you can lead this church and you can do all these things. You can be great at it. But if you don't keep a watch on your own life and what you do and what you teach, you're in trouble. Your own relationship with Christ is in trouble and the relationship of the people you teach, their relationship with Christ will be in trouble. And you know this because we get these stories all the time of how many pastors have you heard of who get up and they preach a message, but they're not living. They're living a double life whenever they're not in the pulpit. And we hate that, right? Like it makes us so angry to hear about that. And every single one of you in here, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you can at least think of one person and you just nod your head whenever you think of that one person who witnessed and ministered to you and was a huge reason why you gave your heart to Jesus Christ. You think of them right now? They had a huge impact in your life. And what would have happened if they were living a double life and hypocritical life and they were not living how they said and you found out about it? How would that have affected you as a young believer? It would have devastated you. And a lot of people don't recover from that if that happens. And so when Paul speaks to Timothy, he says, look, you live it and you teach it and you keep a close watch on it. And I'm telling you this morning, when we talk about ministry, again, it's not about preaching. It's not about standing up in front of a group of people. It would be better if every Christian in the world was a mute and we had nothing else to do but live it. Because your life and your example will speak volumes beyond what your words ever will. You with me? How you live, the example you set, will go far beyond what your words will ever mean. People will forget your sermons. Me and Greg Edmonds laugh about it all the time. We talk about how we cannot remember the lessons and the sermons that, that we grew up in youth group. Like we, we cannot, I couldn't tell you anything that he ever taught on. But I remember the example. I remember the life he lived. I remember when we would make him angry and how he would react. <laughs> I remember when other things would happen, it would be frustrating. And I remember how he responded. It's the example that you carry with you. And the world needs direction. And you and I are called to be a compass to them, to give them direction in their life. Not necessarily with the words you say, not necessarily with titles or positions, but just in life and example, more importantly. Point number three, there's a need for workers. And to think that being a Christian is just a form of lip service to get yourself in the gates of heaven is a travesty for what Jesus Christ did for us. If it's just that thing that you got as an insurance policy or a safety net to keep you from going to hell, that is not what your relationship with Christ was ever meant to be. Your relationship with Christ was meant to be powerful. 
It was meant to be life-changing. It was meant to be reborn, to be new, to be free. And so many people don't get to experience that because we stop at the prayer and we stop at saying, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Just let me have eternal life. And we stop there and we never go any further. It's such a terrible thing for us to fall short of that. And you think about it. There's nothing more selfish that we could do than to have the ability to save someone's life and yet just stand there and watch them die. If you had the ability to go out there in just a few minutes when we get out of here, and some little kid runs out in the road, and you have the ability to go and grab them and pull them out of the road so a car doesn't hit them, and you just stood there and said, nah, they'll be all right. They'll make it. How terrible would that be? And yet we do, so many people do that same very thing with the gospel. We receive this great message of the good news. We get our safety net in place, our insurance policy, and we just cling to this idea that we're, we're going to go to heaven. And that's it. And we never talk about it. We never live it out. We never experience the change. We never experience the freedom. We never experience the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. And if Jesus said, if you want to fulfill the law, you love your neighbor as yourself, and you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and yet we claim to know Christ, and we sit there with our safety net in place and never worry about anyone else dying and going to hell. What kind of love for our neighbor is that? What kind of love for, it, for Christ is it to say, got my safety net in place, I'm good. I'm going to heaven. Said my prayer of salvation, I'm ready to go. And then you just live for you. That doesn't equate it doesn't even make sense. And in Matthew chapter 21, verse 43, as Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders during his ministry, he says, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation that will produce the proper fruit. I want you to understand this morning that you can produce fruit. There are a lot of people, like you know, Jesus said, there will be people who come and stand before me and say, Jesus, we cast out demons in your name. We prophesy in your name. We do all this. He said, I don't know you. Get out, of, get out of my face. Get away from me. Depart from me. I don't know you. You can produce fruit. There, there's multiple times where offerings and things have been brought before the Lord and God has rejected some and accepted others. And so you can claim to be a believer in Christ and you can play the part and you can tithe and you can give your time and you can serve in a ministry and you can do all these things. But if it's not the proper fruit, you need to understand it's going to be rejected. And to me, there's nothing that is sadder this morning than to think that we would sacrifice parts of life in order to do these things only for it not to necessarily be what God wants us to be and give what he wants us to give. See, more than anything, God wants you. He doesn't want the gifts. They're His anyway. He doesn't want your talents. They were His anyway. 
you only reflect a mere image of who God is. But God wants your heart. He wants all of you. And in our Bible study on Wednesday night in 2 Corinthians, you know, Paul really affirmed this whole idea of being a cheerful giver. To give in proportion to what you have, but do it cheerfully with enthusiasm. Because we have to, as believers, be able to produce the proper fruit. It's not about producing fruit. It's about producing the proper fruit that he finds acceptable. And for us to understand this morning that we are called to produce. We're called to produce the proper fruit for God. so important because so many of us can get caught up in just saying like oh I, I did my checklist I did this it's like nah it's not what it's about Jesus just wants you and so when you work you work for Christ when you live you live for Christ as a husband or a wife you are a husband for Christ. You are a wife for Christ. You are a father or a mother for Christ. You are a child of Christ. In everything that you do and how you treat everyone in your life, it is a representative of what God has done and is doing in you. And our relationships with others reveal a great deal of what God is doing in us. Romans chapter 12 talks about being the living sacrifice. In verses 9 through 13, Paul writes, Don't just pretend to love others, but really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection, and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. Keep on praying. And when God's people are in need, be ready to help them always be eager to practice hospitality. And when you talk about what it means to be a living sacrifice, did Paul ever say anything about get up in front of people and tell them about Jesus? Stand on the street corner and yell at everybody. Make sure you have this eloquent one-minute gospel opportunity to present to someone so that they can get saved in just a minute. It's like, no. Being a living sacrifice is serving God in every aspect of your life. It's about living the example and loving others and giving God the opportunity to be praised and glorified for what is being done. In 2 Corinthians 9 verse 12, when Paul was instructing the Corinthians on making sure they were giving the gift to the believers in Jerusalem, it was very important that they did it with a cheerful heart. They did it for the right reasons, that they gave out of what they were able to give. And he told them, don't give unless you feel led to. But as he was talking about this gift, he said, so two things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will be joyfully expressed their thanks to God. And so this morning, to understand today that when we live for Christ, when we are obedient and we do the ministry that Christ has called us to, it does two things. It serves others and it brings glory and honor to our Heavenly Father. It gives us the ability to be obedient to the law that Jesus said, if you do these two things, you will fulfill the entire law. And to understand this morning, when we talk about you've been called 
to be a good steward of the ministry that God's called you to, you need to understand it's like in every aspect of your life that you're called to be a minister. If you drive, you drive in the name of Jesus. Wives, you need to tell your husbands that sometimes. When you live, you live in the name of Jesus. When you serve, you serve in the name of Jesus. And understand today that Paul said, with genuine affection, it's not faking it until you're making it. No, like you love with genuine affection. You, you work hard and you serve the Lord enthusiastically and you rejoice in the hope that you've had. And this morning, if you're sitting here and you're just like, man, I, there's no joy. I'm not enthusiastic about anything you said. Then we need to be crying out for Jesus Christ to invade our life, to empty ourselves out and allow him to come in and fill us with the Holy Spirit. Because for you to do that, you have to die to yourself. You're not going to be enthusiastic about it as long as you're clinging to your life and your wants and your hopes and your dreams. You have to die to yourself and let Christ come in and literally possess you. That you give yourself to Him. And as He possesses you, and as He fills you with the Holy Spirit, it's amazing at how much joy comes at doing the things that you probably weren't very excited about to begin with. How much joy you get from serving others when the others a lot of times don't deserve it. When a lot of times the others aren't necessarily worth your time, that there's joy in that. Because you're not doing it for you, you're doing it for Him. And the more we're filled with the Spirit, the more we desire Him, the more joyful and enthusiastic and confident we will be in all that. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for this day. Thank you for the men and women who are here. Lord, I just pray that if there's anyone in this room who realizes that maybe we haven't been doing this right, that God, we would just cry out to you right now and ask you, Lord, help me to surrender Lord, there's something in me that like, I want this, but there's a part of me that doesn't want it because our flesh is battling the Spirit. And just say, Jesus, help me to want you. Help me to surrender. Help me to empty myself out because everything within me is fighting against this. But there's something inside of me that says, this is the right thing to do. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and help us to commit ourselves to you and to honor you with all of our lives. We love you and we thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.